Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by Sweet Tango Apples. Sweet Tango Apples are back in season. If you haven't tried a Sweet Tango, you're in for a treat. Each loud, crunchy bite releases a fresh burst of juice and a sweet, tangy flavor touched with citrus, honey, and spice. Taste for yourself and see why this best-selling apple has fans who eagerly await its return every fall. Find a grocer near you at sweettango.com backslash rewatchables. We are also brought to you by Zorro. Zorro.com is where you'll find everything you need for businesses of any size and almost any industry. They have tools, equipment, and supplies for everything you need. Whether you need stuff for industries like electrical, plumbing, contracting, manufacturing, or more, Zorro's got it from brands you know and trust. And Zorro.com offers amazing customer service from real people based in the U.S. Visit Zorro.com backslash rewatchables in all lowercase letters to sign up for Zmail and get 15% off your first order. You're not going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe? <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop coming up next Eddie Murphy is a Detroit cop on vacation in Beverly Hills How you doing? We have six witnesses that say you broke in and started tearing up the place then jumped out the window I'm on vacation Eddie Murphy, Beverly Hills Cop, rated R Starts Wednesday, December 5th at a theater near you. All right, Chris Ryan here, Sean Fantasy, special guest Wesley Morris, our former Grantland teammate now at the New York Times. We're going to talk about a movie that is 35 years old. Um, that was the highest grossing movie of 1984, which mm. I was surprised by. Craziness. Um, which is apparently still the number one comedy of all time, if you use adjusted <laughs> gross numbers. Mm. Um was the highest grossing R-rated film for 19 years until The Matrix Reloaded in 2003. Seriously? Was adjusted for inflation, the third biggest R-rated movie ever behind Godfather and Exorcist. Yeah, makes sense. Beverly Hills Cop. Um, a personal movie for me because I just, Eddie Murphy was my guy. Yeah. And this was the natural, talk about Apex Mountain. Should we name Apex Mountain after Eddie? Axel Foley Mountain. This was really it. I Mount mean, this Foley? is SNL. Mount Foley. SNL, 48 Hours, Trading Places, Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. This is, this is the movie that got me into smoking King Size Kents. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? No, how old were you when you saw King Size Kent smokers anymore? Anyway, I know. No, no. <laughs> how old were you when you saw this? Uh, I saw it in the theaters. I was, so I was seven. Yeah. Oh, you. So you were like a kid. I. It became a complete and total youth obsession. This yeah. was like this is on the level of Madonna, Prince, Bruce Springsteen. Like people, hmm. I knew kids who taught themselves how to play Axel F on the synth. Yep. Everybody yep. started yep. dressing yep. like Axel Foley. Yep. Everybody started talking like Axel Foley. We all started cursing like Axel Foley, even though that was not always appropriate. <laughs> it was just like an absolute cultural phenomenon. It's impossible to explain how how huge this was. We've talked about Eddie <clears throat> Wesley. Yes. Um, when you see this movie and him in all his glory, what's your first reaction? Okay. And a number of reactions. Cause you know, I've not, I, I will be honest. I have not seen this movie in its entirety. Oh my God. in maybe 20 years, maybe high school longer than that. I mean, I, I saw it when it was, I saw it on cable. I saw Beverly Hills cop two in the theaters. Um, but I Both saw this ones on had cable. a lot of cable, yeah. a lot of yeah. cable runs. Um, so there are sequences that I know very well, but here are some things I was, I, first of all, Eddie is very soft in this. And I mean, I mean like, like, like soft in, I don't, 
I don't know what kind of training he has as an actor, but there's something very present about him and not like waiting for somebody else to say something so he can then say something funnier or funny at all. He's connected with everybody he has a scene with. Now, I don't know what the other actors would say about Eddie's presentness, but as a viewer, Eddie is very present and very aware of what's going on around him and in the moment, right? And some comedians like... Like Richard Pryor was like this and Bill Murray can be like this where you can tell that they're waiting for their moment to do the thing that they're going to do that steals yeah. the scene. They're calcu- You can see Bill Murray calculating sometimes when he's going to pull the rug out from under the people in the scene with him. Eddie Murphy is just, he's just present and he trusts his comedy enough to know that he doesn't have to win all the time because... We had a Michael Douglas conversation about how Michael Douglas trusts the movies to be on his side so he can take all these risks about what kind of bad, yeah. how bad he can yeah. be while also being human because he knows the movies are never going to be on the woman's side. They're always, they're always going to be his. And I feel like Eddie is the same way. Like I am surprised. I was surprised by just how in the moment he is. And also he just, I guess we're going to get into this, but he, Axel is just, not the macho dude that that I remember him being, Not at and all. like part of the reaction, reading the react, reading the reviews and the and the like the like essays and think pieces about this movie, people were really scared of Eddie Murphy. Well, I think part of it is just how young he is when he makes this. He's twenty four. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. he's still a kid, and they even, I think, doing the research of this, you know, we can go into the whole history of it later, but they're trying to make him seem like somebody who basically just joined the police force. So the way he dresses, they had to change everything. And he's wearing that Mumford t-shirt and he's mm-hmm. wearing jeans and sweatshirts. All and Eddie too. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Stuff you would wear when you're 24 years old, because they're trying to get across the fact that this dude's 24 years old. Sean from a own the screen, own the scene landscape. Do we have anybody like this now? No, but I think not because of what we think Eddie is, but because of what Wesley's saying, which is I had a similar reaction, which is he's really sly in this movie. And in the tone of his voice is mm-hmm. kind of quiet mm-hmm. and it's almost like whispery. Mm-hmm. It's not super actorly. It's also not very, a lot of times when you get a stand-up comedian or a sketch performer in a movie, they can't get out of SNL or mm-hmm. they can't get off the stage. They're stuck in their persona. And while Eddie has a really defined persona, this isn't the guy who was in the nutty professor. You know what I mean? He mm-hmm. hasn't totally like morphed and become aware of himself He's yet. He's a person in this movie. Yeah. And I mean, I don't even know what the what the comparison point would be in terms of somebody who has gracefully transitioned into full-blown movie stardom that is like kind of subtle and still blockbustery. I wonder if it's the sketch comedy background too with that where his ability to play off other people, which is also just, character work. Because yeah. Axel does like a bunch of different characters yes. throughout this movie. He plays but the he, customs inspector. Yes. He plays the Rolling Stone writer. Like each scene, like you never know if he's going to be like, this is who I am. Like when he goes into the strip club and he pretends to know the guy, he's like, Phil! Right. Like he does the drunk guy. Like he's constantly doing character work within the context of the actual story. But he stays in the story, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's, right. he's, it's serving the script, these impersonations, they're just wheel greasings. But he's also really good at connecting. You you talked about like, it's not just the comedy. Like he does that scene with Victor Maitland when he's, when he upends the country club 
When yeah. he sits and, down at the table. Yeah, yeah. handcuffing him right. and he's just staring him down. Yeah. 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 And it's actually really good acting. You yeah. know, it's like if Kevin Hart's doing that, he's just bulging he's his so eyes. He's so quiet and- too when he's just like, if, when I find out you did this, I'm going to fuck you up. Yeah. And he's just like, I'm going to fuck you up. It's yeah. like, it's not like Schwarzenegger. It's not like a bunch of the guys that we associate with the 80s. And that's kind of a really key thing about this movie that I really noticed when I rewatched it was that this movie's way closer to like Dirty Harry or the outfit or seven like a 70s crime movie than it is like yeah. our idea of like 80s action blockbuster. It's a it's an it's a black exploitation movie with um like the one of the few movie star performances. Like yeah. Richard Roundtree is the only true movie star from that era where you watch it and you're just the entire property of the movie changes when he's around. It was also his you know it's I think of like LeBron in 2009 or mm. when Will Smith made the first bad boys or there's certain types of people, you know, they're going to hit the point. You just don't know what the movie's going to be. And he was already in two really successful movies, but 48 hours he's with Nick Nolte and trading places as Dan Aykroyd as John Landis. This was like, all right, Eddie, you're the star of this movie. You're carrying everything, but we all thought he could do it. And it was like, it was time for him to be in a movie like this. So mm-hmm. the expectations of it, just seeing the trailer and the commercials, mm-hmm. it was like, oh yeah, <laughs> Eddie, oh, <laughs> Eddie's going to be a cop. He's going to like, and it met all of them. You were a little bit older though. When you, did you see in the I theaters? Was. Eddie was, was like my, a, I mean, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I saw I had 48 hours in the theater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was a four year run where he was like, I wrote about this for Grantland where you, you TV was in this weird situation all of a sudden in the early eighties where there were just no black characters and mm-hmm. the black characters that were on, you know, when I was growing up, it was Jefferson's and good times and all the white shadow, all these different shows. And then by the time you got to it was Benson, 81, 82, it was, yeah. it was yeah. Benson and different strokes and yeah. the Jefferson's and it was Isaac doing this on the love boat. Yeah. And I, I just, I didn't really know any black people other than the people I saw on TV. And then Eddie was on SNL. He's 19. You're like, who's this guy? Mm. And then he just became my prism to this entire culture that I didn't know anything about. And I think he was just so outsized important during this little small stretch he had Mm -hmm. that to translate that into a movie success and then the massive success he had, it's kind of inconceivable. We're talking about in four years, he becomes the biggest star in the world except for Michael Jackson. Yeah, he's 24. Yep. I yep. think that this is weirdly also kind of the end of a phase for Eddie. Because It if is. You look he got at, too famous. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, everything that happens after this feels very self-conscious. Yeah. You know, even coming to America, which I love, you could sense him leaning back into like, I'm the guy who does Gumby and right. not this kind of like 48 hours yeah. Beverly yeah. Hills cop. Like there's like a... It's a little ridiculous to say that there's a subtlety, but there is kind of a subtlety oh, into yes, what he's doing. Yes, you know, yes, there's also yes, like yes, the, yes. the movie that he makes three times in a row, which is essentially this fish out of water movie, mm-hmm. can't be made with somebody who's that galactically famous. True, really. true. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's kind of impossible to per- conceive of someone who is literally known by almost every person in a country be like, oh, yeah, you. You can't check into this hotel, sir. Like that can't be a joke. <laughs> if the person is bigger than Madonna, you right, know, right, like right. he was—he was honestly the second biggest celebrity. I remember even like Healy was on Letterman a few times. Obviously, Letterman was my show back then. The first couple times he was on, he was really relatable. And I remember there was one last time he came on, like eighty-five, eighty-six, where it was just clear it was different. Mm. It was after this movie where it was like how is he's, how, he's how wearing so? one of his Michael Jackson suits. He's behaving like 
he was just oh, behaving yeah. differently. I'm not saying in a bad way or a good way. It was just like he was a star. He was one of the biggest stars in the world, right. and he had reached a point where there was no way to have normal interactions with anybody. And that's when he bought Bubble Hill, mm-hmm. and he's just in a mansion every night, just hanging out with other rich people, and that's death for comedy. Yeah, but but it isn't death for movie stardom, right? No, like yeah. it, it actually is weirdly okay for movie stardom because it like it lets you bring your bubble to like another part that lets you just like un- unfurl yourself in some way. And it's interesting that like the idea that the thing that sort of kept him going after Axel Foley was, were basically, I mean, you'd golden child, uh, which Beverly was, Hills which was two. definitely a disappointment. Yeah. Beverly Hills cop two was not that. No, that <laughs> we're going to talk about that later. <laughs> that movie was fucking awesome. Right, right. And coming to America was awesome. Yeah, but he clearly was torn between a number of things, right? Because one thing that winds up happening is he, and this is this is the this is the Hollywood thing. I mean, when when a when a black actor becomes very successful, he there's a tension between what the movies want him to do and what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And the movies don't know that it's important for black people to be around other black people in the world. Like like Axel Foley, the idea. So one of the complaints about this movie is that nobody would believe that that this man would be in Beverly Hills and his being in Beverly Hills wouldn't be a problem. And like nobody would, nobody, nobody calls in the N-word. We don't believe this movie. We don't believe this movie because he's allowed to move freely through Beverly Hills and have no problems. Right. And the truth is, that's not true. The thing is, what they fail to recognize in that critique is what we're watching is a movie star be impe- like be impervious to the racism that Beverly Hills would have for mm. for a different person. It's not that he wouldn't experience this racism. The racism is built into the movie. It's just that it's tef like he's so Teflon in his stardom that it doesn't stick. It's also it's a detective movie. And right, it's like right, Bogart yeah, being right. in a movie. And you're like, how did Bogart get on that ship? But it's, but it's weirdly, like he's Bogart. Right. He's charismatic. Yeah, he's smart. Like just go with it. You it's know? also crucially it wasn't his movie. It was his movie. He he gets hired two weeks before the movie gets filmed. This is a movie for that was written for it was kicking around since the seventies. It was essentially like a cop comes to another town movie that had been made for that had been set up for a variety of different movie stars over the years with a variety of different directors. And he completely transforms it by improving like large swaths of the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also like the to your point though. One of the things that really charmed me this time around was the way in which the character relates to a bunch of people who are also kind of like overlooked in Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. Like everything. All the gay people. Yeah, but also like the, the guys who are working valet and, and the guys yep, who are bringing yep. it, like the waiters the food, and yep, everybody, yep, like yep, the yep, secret yep. underground of like, hey, like you and I are both kind of stepped on surge. here. Yeah, surge. Yeah. Well, the guy who brings the tray of food out yeah. to the car. Who gives him a wink. Right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, he's like, hey, I appreciate that and I see you, dude. Yes. Or the security guard he's harassing when he goes to look at the crates and then all the guys who work in the back room with the records. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. these are people you don't yeah. see in movies. Yeah. yeah. And also paid respect yeah. by yeah. by the star of the movie. It's a tour de force. I wrote I did a, a mailbag in 2010 and I tra- did the funny person championship belt. <laughs> Should we relitigate from, that? Yes, well, I remember. It's pretty good all the way through 2010. But 82 to 84, Eddie got it three years in a row. I think he might have been the only one who had it for that mm-hmm. long. Mm-hmm. And Who took it from him? I can't remember because he didn't do anything in 85. Okay. Um, maybe it was Chevy Chase Gallagher? for Fletch. You yeah, like Gallagher. Some, no, yeah. it wasn't Gallagher. <laughs> but it was, it's, the, it's the best three-year run, three run by a funny person ever. Like yeah. When you just look at 
the totality of what he did, he's on television on Saturday Night Live, which was the most important funny show. He did three movies in a row that were all huge hits. He crossed over all kinds of genres and, you know, he hit all kinds of demos. And, yeah, maybe uh, Jerry Lewis is the only other comp person. Yeah, I didn't go back that far. Okay. I, I didn't feel. I it's didn't such feel a cool equipped. way to look at it, too, because being on SNL meant he had to bring it every week. Like, mm -hmm. it wasn't like he mm -hmm. filmed three mm -hmm. movies 18 months before they came out and then was like, oh, man, he's having a great year. It's like, you know, he was like on television every week and was appointment viewing for well, It's also kind of amazing that he almost got fired from 48 Hours. Mm -hmm. Trading Places was a Dan Aykroyd movie. In this movie, he got two weeks before the filming started. It, it was, even though he was the certainly the biggest black star at that point, he still couldn't get <laughs> get star parts of movies totally. Well, right. No, Remember those cops like Sly Stallone passed. Uh, all right, let's get Eddie Murphy. It's like, well, how do you not want Eddie Murphy in that movie? That should have been the no-brainer of all time. Also, it doesn't work with Sylvester Stallone, right? It's no, just, it's no, just no. a different movie. It, the right. tone it's would be so different. It was, right. Cobra, right. It was supposed to be like cop. a dramatic action movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because you can see some of that in the early going, right? The the way they sort of destroy, demolish Detroit. <laughs> Um, yeah, that whole opening set piece is like a hardcore action movie. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, but like to to the like the reason that movie stardom matters is because just having this one person in your movie completely changes the chemical properties of of how how light mm -hmm. it can be versus how heavy it is. Totally. And if Sylvester Stallone's in the in that cigarette truck in the opening sequence, it's just the movie weighs like 150 pounds more. No, also, yeah, yeah. I, it's hard to know how much the story changed, but like, I think that you could safely say this would be an actively bad movie with anybody besides Eddie Murphy mm -hmm. because in the first 30 mm -hmm. minutes, especially from that era, even we, if nothing changes, if every yeah. single thing is the same except Sylvester Stallone is doing everything. Yeah, we know Sylvester who Stallone kills comes to the his Beverly friend. Palms we know like, kills I made an interview Michael Jackson. Right. And we know Victor Maitland is responsible <laughs> right. in the first 30 minutes. So right. there's not even like a, Anything to figure out. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, will That's he get the bad point. guy? That's like, we know point. everything. That's so, a great point. I, I didn't know a lot. I got to say, I knew less about this movie than I thought. I didn't realize how much they improvise. The the writer, Daniel, or the director, Dan Martin Petrie, Brest. Yeah. Second Martin Brest movie. They'd had all these different screenplays. They yeah. literally had pieces of different screenplays they're carrying around. It shows. And Petrie, the writer, said... Um, he'd take a line, he'd expand it, he'd make it special, he'd put in the comic persona, invent it for the moment. And then Bress said, it's spooky, but every time we got into a jam, I turned to Eddie and say, can you come up with something? And every time he came up with something that knocked me into the floor, he's a director's dream, blah, blah, blah. So basically he's ad-libbing, freelancing this shitty script they have. Hmm. And they hit the lottery because they have the best person who's ever been on SNL and one of the best improv, let me come up with a character right away, guys, ever. And he's like, yeah, okay, what do you need here? Dude, can you do ad lib some police station thing with with uh, Rosewood? Okay, and then does like the best version of it. Right. This movie got nominated for best screenplay. Eddie <laughs> improvised like two yeah. thirds of it. Yeah. No, I mean, I hope he was. I hope Eddie got thanked. Do you think he was the most talented comic actor we've ever had? Oh man, in the history of movies. Yeah. Mm, he, like no, if this was no. basketball, we'd be like, "Do you think he was the best basketball player ever?" I'm, I'm trying to think: is there a better? If you're just starting a, co a comedy and you could have like any Jack actor. Lemon, like what's the right. what's I mean, the conversation? Yeah. You've got you know? a you've got a wide Danny Kay. I mean, there's just so I need many a lead people. for a movie. I need to sell tickets. I need it to be funny. Who am I, I getting? But he Dan Donald O'Connor, Luke Wilson. <laughs> he loses. <laughs> <laughs> he loses it 
pretty quick. I'm saying this version of Eddie right here, 1984 Eddie. I can grab oh, anyone from any season. Oh. I mean, in recent history, there's like Jim Carrey basically does the same playbook 10 years later. Will Ferrell does the same playbook as this one. Seven so would you years rather have Jim, Jim Carrey, Carrey or Eddie Murphy? I'd rather have Eddie Murphy. I like Eddie Murphy more, but would you rather there are replicable examples 1994 of this. Jim Carrey, 2003 Will Ferrell, like if we're going wine bottle team. I'm still taking Eddie over anybody. I, I would. Well, here's the thing about here's the difference between Jim Carrey and Will Ferrell versus Eddie Murphy, right? It's the it's the thing that we were talking about, which is the effortlessness. Like Eddie Murphy does not need you to laugh. Yeah, he really doesn't. Like he his comedy is not dependent. He's not gonna evaporate if if the joke doesn't work. That's he's just true. got yeah. another joke. Yeah, and well, he actually can be funny if the joke doesn't work. Right, he's funny despite the joke. Right? Yeah, sometimes he is the joke. Whereas sure. Will Ferrell and Jim Carrey. I mean, they are really putting themselves in the hospital for your laugh. Mm -hmm. And Chevy Chase was like that too. The effortlessness or the desperation? No, Chevy Chase was willing to do anything physically to make you laugh. Right. But again, it just seemed more natural than what... There was something sort of special effect oriented with Jim Carrey, obviously. Yeah. And Will Ferrell, I mean, he just was... Eddie Murphy also doesn't want to make a fool of himself. And I think there's just a, there's a movie star, there's a classic movie star quality to the way he's funny that nobody, that really nobody after him or even like a little bit before him had. Well, Sean made the key point. This movie should have been bad. <laughs> like, as you said, we already know who did it 30 minutes in. It's incomprehensible. I'm not even sure why the beginning Detroit pole chase scene, you don't even really need it. It really doesn't well, really have anything to do with the Ray, movie You don't at need the chase. That's Don Simpson buying the mountain. Yeah, just like, it's like wait. <laughs> yeah. No, this movie is very, it's very coked up. It's yeah. very coked up. Uh, but like, so in baseball, we have war where you met like Mike Trout. It was like a 17 war this year. If you put a replacement player in that position, Eddie's war is off the charts in this movie because mm -hmm. it shouldn't have worked. And it became no. the third highest grossing comedy ever. I find action comedy is also really fascinating to think about because you think about Beverly Hills Cop, you think about Stripes, yeah. to some extent Ghostbusters, Blues Brothers, like a lot of the movies from around this time period where it's like, they could have made this movie either way and they just decided to put Bill Murray or Eddie Murphy in it. And then it just completely changes it. But then the result of this movie kind of completely changed our way of thinking about what we think of a, a comedy can be going right. forward. Because well, before that, it's like mm -hmm. Neil Simon. It's basically like domestic kind of. Seems like old yeah, times. Yeah, there's a bunch of one-liners yeah. and there's a little bit of romance, maybe a little bit of screwball stuff going on. And then at the end, everybody kind of you know has a good laugh and feels good about themselves. And this is all of a sudden like it's a comedy, but there's also a 15-minute car chase that's inexplicable. Yeah, or right. you know, a ghost comes or out. Stripes, the the freaking tank. At the, the second end. half of Stripes right. is essentially a war movie. Right, right. Well, the interesting thing is, before this, you've got a number of things that are happening in the movies, right? Like one thing is is the black exploitation era, which was really good at taking the properties of 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 an of a Hollywood action movie, and then. Or, or like a like a like a shitty crime movie and just repopulating them and redistributing the the power among a kind of ethnic underclass, primarily black people, but frequently black people who are working for Italians. Um, and you have this whole law enforcement infrastructure built into these movies that was frequently a black cop and a white cop mm -hmm. trying to solve a crime. And then before that, you I mean, I think the most important movie that I mean it's obvious in some ways, but 
because so much of it is just the, the, the atoms of it are in so many other movies, but the French connection, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like you take the French connection and you recast Gene Hackman's, you make Popeye Doyle, Axel Foley. And I don't think the movies change at all, but it's, there's something about the seriousness with which the French connection took itself. It's I mean, almost literally like, like the apart Popeye's apartment is the same as Axel's apartment. Right. Essentially. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you even keep the racism. (laughs) (laughs) You even keep the racism of the French connection. And you just like the way in which the way that movie thought about energy and movement and, and even in its way comedy. Right. But, but you, nobody thinks of the French connection is, is funny, but there's something about the, the dynamic between Scheider and, and, and Hackman um, but I wanted I wanted to talk about the racism of or lack of racism of this movie. Because, Alleged lack of racism because this <laughs> right? was a fascinating year for America because you had the Cosby shows launching. I think was or maybe not launching, but the eighty four. I felt like Cosby Show was at like its, yes, it was it the number one the show, show in America. America. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you had Purple Rain and Prince become a massive star. Right. And then you have this movie where I feel like if this movie's done 10 years ago, Eddie being black would have been a major, major theme of this movie. And in this movie, it's there. And it's there like with the banana and the tailpipe scene and a couple other things, but not really. Well, well what does that mean though, right? It's complicated. Right? I feel like the question, like when you say that, that it's there, but it's not there, do you mean like nobody's really addressing him as a black person? I don't, I don't think it cared as much about that as it would have 10 years earlier. Because I think the difference is, I mean, the other movie, the other thing that I was thinking about when we were talking about like the history of what is what, what had happened before this movie had started is Sidney Poitier being like completely just dismissed by a crumbling Hollywood movie industry, right? Yeah. Where like the, the thing that he'd been kept from his entire career was other black people. When the movie industry falls apart, his first, all his power chips he spends after having the greatest movie star, one of the great movie star years of all time in 1967 with those three movies in the heat of the night, guess who's coming to dinner and to serve with love. He spends all that capital to make a movie where he makes love to Abby Lincoln, right? All he wanted to, because all the pressure was on him to fuck a black lady. Please let him make love to somebody because he's been all, all these movies with these white women and can't touch them. And so, and when he can touch them, they're blind and can't see him back. So he uses all the pressure that he felt as a black movie star during the civil rights era was not to like be equal to white people. It was like proof of equality was fucking. And so he makes to- And he doesn't get to do that in this movie. Right. But And in Golden Child, it got cut out. Right. So like the degree to which like the fight that a person like Eddie Murphy has to have in 1984 to just be- in a movie with white people where he doesn't have to face racism, like like the kind of blatant racism that a Sidney Poitier would have to face with white people, that is an achievement, but it was one that, that movie audiences had been so, I mean, not movie audiences, because I think the thrill of this movie was that he didn't have, you were watching a black person just skate through, skate through life. Yeah, that There's was my no, point. Right, right. But, but what I, the other thing that, what my point is only that there is something strangely artificial about that, only in that this is a person who has no other black people in his life. And he's from fucking Detroit. Except for like, yeah, Inspector except for Todd. Todd. Yeah. Right. His, his father that figure. fucking yeah. fully. His, <laughs> who really wants him to succeed. Like, yes. I think you're a talented cop, but you got to stop fucking up. Right. So, 
okay. The only thing about this is this is a quote unquote fish out of water comedy, right? It's yeah. like tried and true formula. Some like it hot. You mentioned in the heat of the night that uh, in the heat of the night is a fish out of water right. movie. Yes, that's it, the exact same they're, movie. They're in very some similar. Movie. It's one of my favorite. Press said right. that the Beverly Hills Cop is essentially in the heat of the night meets Beverly Hills. Right. Bullies. But so right. if yeah, you right. if if you make this movie with, with Sylvester Stallone or Schwarzenegger or even like Michael Keaton. Whatever is happening in the sequence when he gets thrown through the window and then arrested oh, and then yeah. taken into the police department, if he's not black, it it's different. Mean, it, it doesn't. doesn't it doesn't anything. communicate oh, yeah. anything. Also, he doesn't even get arrested if it's Stallone. Right. If he's Stallone, Stallone makes sure that like he gets on the other side of that window. There's a gun waiting for him, and he's like having a shootout. That's why it's important, and that's why even though nobody comes out and says, "Man, Beverly Hills is racist," so that, that <laughs> right. never happens. Yeah, but that's a, look who's coming to arrest I think that's him. A right? Good thing Those that they handled it that way. Right. Like, yeah. right, right, right. It's subtle. It was subtle under the radar. He'll make little jokes left and right, but it's just kind of part of the movie, and not. I just think they would have done it differently. I think it's all it's it, it, whether it's happy or unhappy, it's an accident. I don't necessarily think they rewrote the parts of Bogomil and Rosewood and Taggart. Yeah. No, after just, the, the the casting changes happened, so they have like basically a script that's for Mickey Rourke or M- Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> oh wait, and, pause. Yeah, and Eddie Murphy is the star <laughs> instead. But these guys, they're doing their lines. It's not like I don't think that J- Judge Reinhold was like, I have I have an ad lib here. I'm just gonna <laughs> add some racial tension to the moment. You know, he's well, just like, I'm going through this movie. I didn't realize how much how hard it was for the other actors to handle the Eddie ad libs. Cause apparently they would I have, was going to ask if you guys these knew. takes that just got ruined because somebody would start laughing. Yeah. So in the super cop scene, which we'll get to when we do the most rewatchable scene, it, did you read this? Yeah. It got pointed out. John Ashton's like yeah. laughing and it looks like he's like in pain. He puts his head down. But if yeah. you look at him, he's like, He's like, he's like in the Carol Burnett show, like trying not, to, trying not to laugh. And I had no idea. It totally changes the way I'm going to watch this movie for the rest of my life. Cause yeah. you can see these guys, you can see Ronnie Cox fighting oh, yeah. it off a couple of times. Yeah. And it's clear that Eddie was just doing his thing. There's just that great story about how judge Reinhold, whenever Eddie was doing his thing, would have to pinch the inside of his thigh to give himself pain so that he wouldn't laugh. Right. Yeah. I mean, I used to do that during NBA countdown <laughs> for different reasons. <laughs> just to make sure you were alive? Yeah. Just, oh, just to Lord. feel this is actually happening. Yeah. Um, Roger Ebert. Raj, come on. Two and a half. Two and a half. Yeah, yeah, I knew it. He didn't really like it. He said Eddie Murphy looks like the latest victim of the star magic syndrome, in which it is assumed that a movie will be a hit simply because it stars an enormously talented person. Guess what, Raj? That's exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah, he he was, right. John Simpson is like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's take a break and then we'll get to the categories. Today's episode is brought to you by Luminary, a new podcast subscription service with some of the best content around. I'm excited about Luminary because it's the only place you can listen to the newest show on the Ringer Network, Break Stuff, the story of Woodstock 1999. This is definitely a podcast you can't miss. In 1999, a music festival took place in upstate New York that became a social experiment. There were riots, looting, and numerous assaults, and it was set to a soundtrack of the era's most aggressive rock bands. Incredibly, it was the third iteration of Woodstock, a festival known for peace, love, and hippie idealism. But Woodstock 99 revealed some hard truths behind the myths of the 1960s and the danger that nostalgia can engender. Along with Woodstock 99, Luminary gives you access to a bunch of other original shows from innovative, dynamic creators you can't find anywhere else, like Hannibal Burris's Handsome Rambler, and of course our spinoff, The Rewatchables in 1999. The Luminary app is free to download, and along with the can't-miss originals, you can use it to listen to thousands of podcasts, including this one. 
Whether you're into music, TV and film, comedy, sports, or more, Luminary has the right show for you. So check out Woodstock 99 and so much more only on Luminary. Get your first two months of access to Luminary's premium content for free when you sign up at luminary.link slash rewatch. After that, it's only $7.99 a month. That's luminary.link slash rewatch for two months of free access. Luminary.link slash rewatch. Cancel anytime. Terms may apply. Most rewatchable scene. What's interesting about this movie is I don't feel like anything in the first 20 minutes is exceedingly rewatchable. I kind of I disagree. The chase is really good. I, I, yeah. It's fine. But if I'm flipping channels, I'm so excited if I know he's about to get to Beverly Hills. That's when I, I think I'm specifically ready. if that cigarette deal had gone on for an hour and a half and it just been like a Jim Jarmusch movie of these two guys stuck in the back of a truck, <laughs> I would have been like, this is amazing. <laughs> Frank Pesh being like, yeah, shop kid. Here's the thing. I'm going to make it up to you on the way back. It's just you know, I feel like that's a different movie. Yeah, sure it is. But it's like, I love the fact that they just like kind of have this Mean Streets moment in the beginning of this movie. It kind of takes you out of the idea of it being any other 80s bullshit blockbuster. I don't, I don't know. I really, I, I, like, I like where it starts. Also, aside from the movie being called Beverly Hills Cop, if you start this movie and you don't know the title, you don't know what to make of Axel. You it's, just don't it's know. Detroit, it's yeah. Detroit 3000 right, right, part two. Right. right. Yeah. I would say most, re, are we talking about rewatchable I'm scenes? about to go through them. Okay. All right. Axel arrives in Beverly Hills and checks in the hotel. As Patty LaBelle plays. Don't you think I realize what's going on here, miss? Who do you think I am, huh? Don't you think I know that if I was some hot shot from out of town that pulled inside here and you guys made a reservation mistake, I'd be the first one to get a room and I'd be upstairs relaxing right now. But I'm not some hot shot from out of town. I'm a small reporter from Rolling Stone magazine that's in town to do an exclusive interview with Michael Jackson that's going to be picked up by every major magazine in the country. I was going to call the article, Michael Jackson is sitting on top of the world, but now I think I might as well just call it Michael Jackson can sit on top of the world just as long as he doesn't sit in the Beverly Palm Hotel because there's no niggas allowed in there. Excuse me, sir. And it says that he's a, from Rolling Stone. It might, it might be the funniest thing he's ever done. Michael yes. Jackson. Yes. The best part is just that he's just like the nerve of some people right. when he gets up there. Well, you, the thing is like the way that he, the like what you're interested in in 2019 is the way that he can cry racism, almost literally cry racism without saying racism, but also communicate the sophistication of the way race function functions in this movie was really lost on people at the time. Mm-hmm. Like maybe, but, but again, probably not the audience, right? It was critics who weren't used to writing about a black person starring in anything. And the, 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 the comedy of that scene is you can feel him building to this, like to this, like, like universal embarrassment that this woman is just simply doing her job, but also, you know, he understands the racism of the denial. And so he gets to be an entitled white person and an affronted black person mm-hmm. at the same time. <laughs> yes. And the high pressure system of those two situations are the comedy, but they also produce the desired effect, which is to get the manager to come over and give him the room at half price. <laughs> half price. For it a was single. single room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Fucking also sweet. communicates how smart he is because yes. he overhears the, the woman booking having the phone call and saying there are no reservations available. So as soon as he walks up, he's got an opening line, the nerve of some people. How do they not know to make a reservation? And also (laughs) he gets like one of the all time like wordless takes where they give him the price of a single room. Oh, yes. And he just (laughs) blanks for a second. (laughs) (laughs) And he's so funny. And it's 240 a night. Yeah. Which today would be like, that's that's pretty solid. I think it's like $700. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> just such an amazing yeah. reaction. And then it goes right from there to he goes to see Jenny Summers and meets Serge. I see you look at this base. 
Yeah, I was wondering how much something like this went for. $130,000. Get the fuck out of here! No, no, I cannot. It's serious because it's very important. Base. Have you ever sold one of these? Sell it yesterday to a collector. Get the fuck out of here! I'm serious. I said it myself. <laughs> and this is just an almost impeccable nine minutes of comedy. Yes. Yeah. From Iconic. those two. Because you're Surge. still laughing at the hotel. Yeah. Right? And then all of a sudden Surge is there and Surge is just throwing a Also a, a, a secret trope of the eight, of 80s movie making is pop song playing over montage. Mm-hmm. Pop song gets turned down for a full scene mm-hmm. and then and at the end of that scene up. bring the song yep. back. Yep. Yep. So yep. as soon as like he checks into the hotel, Stir It Up comes back yep. on yep. and then he's like walking down and he sees the two Michael Jacksons walking by And he him. laughs at the Michael Jackson yes. guy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, you talked about how Eddie connects with people. Like the surge part's a good example. I mean, it's what? like professional wrestling where the like the the Shawn Michaels can just make any other wrestler yeah. better by being right. in the ring. I would love and to not be being afraid of Ray. He like, gave him a whole career from those two scenes. Like, literally, he got a sitcom out of those two scenes. Yes, I will stand here with Dwayne Johnson as Shawn Michaels because <laughs> I'm not afraid. I'm Shawn Michaels. If Dwayne yeah. Johnson wants to be Dwayne Johnson, let the rock, let the rock rock. If he can, if he can hang with me, we're good. It's true. And Bronson Pinchot was just like he he'd been in Risky Business right before that. He was Tom, one of Tom Cruise's yeah, friends yeah. in Risky Business, yeah. and that's it. So when he popped up in that movie, I'm like, oh, the guy from Risky Business. And then it's like, what's going on? And then Balky, two years later. Yeah. And then that's well, it. There you go. Uh, the banana and tailpipe, the actual order in them, room service. <laughs> the, the shrimp sandwich. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's in the hotel suite. We'll get to that whole scene in a second. Um, but then, yeah, putting it in there, just <laughs> really enjoyable. Um, that's also when you really Larded start- with subtext. You, right. lo- yeah. you love yeah. the uh, Rosewood uh, Taggart. That's when you're starting to get in on those oh, yeah. guys. They're yeah. starting, there's some interplay with those Five guys. Five pounds of undigested yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, red meat. Yeah. Uh, I have the strip joint scene that leads to the super cops monologue, which is <laughs> where everybody's cracking up, which is really, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, dancing in strip joint. Billy, Billy, you know, you don't have to be embarrassed if your dick gets hard. But your dick is supposed to get hard, see? That's the whole object of this. Tagger's dick is hard, but he won't let you know because he's the boss. Boss dick got to stay limp, right? Yeah, I ain't on Who is who sang Nasty Girl? Vanity Six. Six. Yeah. That's a fucking awesome yes, song. Yes, it is. <laughs> so good. Um the when the first team takes over from Taggart and Rosewood. Oh. The, outside of Maitland's yeah. house, the we're not gonna fall for the man of the tailpipe. <laughs> which became like an iconic thing that you just would say and make fun yeah. of people who talked like that and kept We going used to say cover. it at Little League. It would yeah. be like this kid throws a curveball. It's like, oh okay, I won't fall for the banana and the tailpipe. Yeah. yeah. And then uh no idea any of the context. Yeah. And then right as it was dying down, Tiger Woods came out on the scene in 1997 and talked exactly like the banana and tailpipe guy. Yeah. And it got like yeah. five more years of banana and tailpipe jokes. <laughs> and then uh, I just really enjoyed the ending. Like the shootout? <laughs> yeah. I just enjoy everything. Like Taggart trying to climb over the fence. Oh, he can't and do it. Yeah. The inept guards just hailing them with bullets and not hitting anyone. It's really the Eddie age of the Uzi. Yeah. It's just very- Age of the sort of poorly deployed Uzi too. Yes. Nobody can- It's like, you want to talk about taking some firearms away from people. Take them away from the people in the movies, the goons who can't shoot straight. Yeah. Drug dealers with sunglasses uh, and Uzis. Right. It's just Take like, off yeah. your sunglasses, dude. <laughs> You're missing everything. Any can other rewatchable Yeah, sense? I- Actually getting chewed out by Cobb. Procedure. You damn right, wise ass. The male called the chief, the chief called the deputy chief, the deputy chief just chewed my ass out. You see, I don't have any bit of it left, don't you? When the fuck did you get a truckload of cigarettes from anyway? 
From the Dearborn hijack. From the Dearborn hijack? And that fucking bus went down last week. That truck is supposed to be in the damn pound. I'm trying to tell you. Jeffrey, this is none of your fucking business. This is not my locker. Listen, and oh. a Paul Reiser's no performance more. in that entire sequence. Yeah. This is not my locker. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's like the only time I think someone goes over the top of Murphy. It, Cobb and R- James Russo mm-hmm. are the only two people who are like, I'm I'm going higher than Icarus here, and we're going to see what happens in this scene. Christy, you want to do 30 seconds on James Russo before like, we move only on? 30? Only yeah, 30? Yeah, I can have 45. Let's just talk about like the Michael Tandino thing is just like this like weird love story in the middle of the movie, in the beginning of the movie. Those it guys sets are- up. It's the setup yeah. for like why he needs to take, I'm sorry, can we, we need to just say this. Yes. He uses, this is a 24-hour working class man using his vacation to solve a murder. <laughs> right? Like, I'm I'm going to Hawaii. Yeah, I'm. I might be going to like visit some friends. Yeah. I am not going to El, to Beverly Hills. Wait. Oh, by the way, we're in Los Angeles. Is Beverly Hills its own city? So it does we're, have its own police department. I just wanted to be clear about this. Yeah, okay. that's that's why it's really expensive. It okay. has good good schools <laughs> and it's super safe. But I, those are that's my rewatchable sequence. Is the sequence where like they get together, play pool, sit at the bar, and go back to his apartment? Yeah. Because you know, before he dies, they're doing it. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to get there yet. I'm sorry. We can save it. But hey, can we save it? We can save right, it. Let's okay. save it. Do do you, can we talk about why this movie happened? Yeah, because it's it's relevant to the Beverly Hills part of the conversation and relevant to the police department. Oh, you wanted for the half fast and yeah, can we save it for half fast? Yeah, we'll save. Yeah. We'll, okay, okay right. we'll save it. Okay. So what's most Great rewatchable? Teased. Also, did you put in the uh, the cu- Axel at the customs facility? Like, who's got the Porsche part parked out? Is that your Porsche outside? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like oh, that part too. I'll add it. Yeah, and he's good. like, "Do you have a match?" And he's like, "Then you're my fucking problem." <laughs> <laughs> I'm going checking into the hotel. Yeah, I like boat. that. Checking All the, the way to Surge is great. Yeah. What's age the best? I just I'm still in love with Jenny Summers. All these years later, she's a weird her. one though. What's There's her name? So Lisa Eilbach. Yeah, he really likes her. I really I, liked her in that movie. She, I mean, with all due respect to like, well, not do with all due respect to to to, to this woman, but. A disrespect to like the way Hollywood cast these women mm-hmm. as interchangeable blondes with this with the same Kate Capshaw haircut. Yeah, yeah. like this, this is. I I did not recognize her at Wesley, all, and I'm sure I've seen her in like 15. I'm sorry, I, you can have it, but I'm just. Saying. Bill and I both have she, a soft spot for Jenny Summers, for Dana Wheeler, Nicholson, and Fletch. Yeah, Ooh, Dana this whole Wheeler, era. Yeah, but, but listen, here's what I want from okay. from my token female character in an Eddie Murphy movie. Dressed very well, laughed at all his jokes, mm-hmm. looked great. Mm-hmm. That's it. Well, it's she, an Eddie Murphy movie. She is interesting because think about what Stuck she does up for in this movie, right? She she is not a love interest mm-hmm. of either of the men because hey, we'll get to that later. She fucking tried. Right. She tried with Eddie. I mean, <laughs> Listen, she really gave it I a I thought whirl. we were saving this. We're saving it. <laughs> okay. And she is very, she's serious about her career. And the career doesn't cost her anything, right? She doesn't die. She is a damsel, but I mean, I don't disbelieve her. She's like, I'll drive. Right? He's like, right. I'm going to go to your boss's she warehouse. She keeps insisting, and yeah, he's like, I drive. don't want you to come. She's like, fuck you. I'm not letting you drive. Great character. And you can't get in without Great me. friend, great character. Right. 
definitely yes. not a great character. I don't know what's <laughs> motivating this person at all. <laughs> She's fantastic. She's working for a Coke Lord's art gallery, <laughs> and, which was evidently a Coke Lord's it was art gallery. Everything was she kind didn't of realize. fluid. She we didn't hired know. <laughs> sure, my boss, he brings in Matisse paintings. He brings in a bunch <laughs> of coffee listen, grounds. You do what you have to do, There's some bear bonds hanging up, like lying around. Who knows? It was the, the like, 80s. The Jenny... Tandino Axel triangle of friendship makes no sense. What do no, these I, people talk about? They, Tandino just they did went a to bid. Together. He yeah, they out of they grew up together in Detroit. Yeah. Jenny yeah. is from Detroit. 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 Jenny is Detroit from either now. Illinois. She's got a, there's something, she's got a hard. She's got a hard. She's seen some things. Bitten. Yeah, I mean, okay. I, she's she not afraid like, of conflict. She looks like she's lived a life. I'm yeah. not casting aspersions. This woman is a TV actress. She's getting <laughs> annihilated throughout the whole movie by everybody else who is not a TV actress. Oh come actress. on! How dare you? I wonder. She's if not. They're... Didn't do anything after this for a reason because no. she can't hold the screen. You can't be. <laughs> Bring it, Sean Tennessee. Do you think that there was a Stop. meeting in Don Simpson's office in 1985 where some screenwriter comes in and goes, "Don, let me tell you." Beverly Hills art dealer. What's going on with Jenny Summers? She's trying to get her own gallery off the ground after the tragic death of Victor Maitland, who was gunned down. And she has a ton of coke. She, Wait, got- but let me ask you a question, Ray. Is, is this our first movie art gallery person? Because our you, first gallerist? No, yeah, our first female gallerist. Are there no female gallerists in 70, 70s Woody Allen movies? Magnificent. No. Maybe, maybe, but I mean, <laughs> I think this might be, a, you, you need to stop. Like, I, like, I love their teenage girl. Chris had Dana Wheeler Nicholson. I have Lisa Elbacker. <laughs> but you're still talking about her. Well, I'm talking in past tense. <laughs> I'm 15 year old Bill talking about her. <laughs> Did you have anybody else? I had a lot of people. I was an only child. Terry Gar. I had 45 crushes. What are you we, talking we're, about? We're waiting into all dangerous waters here. <laughs> I want to. No, I love hearing about this because it, who else? Name wow. somebody. Who who didn't I have a Terry crush Gar? On? He said Terry, Terry Gar. Gar. Nah, I didn't really like Terry. <laughs> what? No. She was Jill Clayburgh. How about J- how about Jane Kennedy in NFL Today in the late seventies? <laughs> that was unbelievable. You it's, just we're seriously you in like the George. Bill Simmons wet dream segment <laughs> of this podcast. They replaced Phyllis Jane George Kennedy. with like probably the best looking woman in Jane, the world. Jane she took that show over, and yeah. she's just doing football habits. And I was like eleven. I was like, this is I, the best. I, I, thank you. <laughs> I, no, you know that I, he had a list. Yes, that was like the top ten best looking ladies in the top world. Top ten, it Kennedy, was like fifty, Albacher. <laughs> it's like fifty. Susan Day. <laughs> oh, Susan Day was Sonny definitely Crockett's on it. girlfriend in <laughs> oh, <laughs> Olivia oh. Brown. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love you, Olivia Brown. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she was great. All right, we we sidetracked. Um, <laughs> what changed the best? Sure did. Jenny Summers' car. And also that the fact red that Mercedes Benz convertible, yeah, the Los is Angeles, a like in, in Beverly Hills, we just take whatever car's closest. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was good. That was a good. That she car. had a good line. Can I start doing that with you? Taking my car. You guys no. don't care about cars. <laughs> that car is fucking dope. It's a car it's a that you car. can't see anymore, and it's really hard to keep in shape. Had a little back seat. I just Mikey I, could have been back there if he was still alive. <laughs> the three of them. That's the Mikey spot. Yeah. So we just did your obsessions as a fourteen-year-old boy. And now women that, that car and is incredible. Cars, yeah. So you're really Sorry. you're I'm a human being. Sean. Into the, into the I'm a human being. Here. I bleed okay. like okay. everyone else. Um, <laughs> what's age the best? Great title. It's almost yeah. like they came up with the title and didn't have a script yet because it was, it was exactly like that. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Simpson or Eisner, which we don't, we still don't know. Harold Faltermeyer. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, that I is mean, a great run. Great. What are, I don't what know. Are, I don't know what happened. What happened after? After Ooh, Top Gun? I'll tell you what happened. Fletch. Is that, That's a great, it's a great soundtrack though. A great score. He was, this was an era where you had synth based musicians like mm-hmm. the great Howard Jones. Howard Wang Jones. Chung. Yeah. Yeah. And he just kind of fit in. It made sense that that would be in a movie. Uh, Do you guys uh, know that he's credited uh, with Hans Zimmer on Top Gun Maverick? Hmm. I think because they're Meyer using be his, uh, yeah. his his themes. I think Still he made alive, so huh? much money he had to he had to be like in Maui. Um, <laughs> the soundtrack, incredible, which includes soundtrack. the heat is on, Neutron Dance, Stir It Up, and Nasty Girl. Mm. It's pretty strong, and and the Faltermeyer ones, yeah, and all the yeah. Faltermeyer ones. Martin Brest. Yeah, the less said, the better. I don't know what to. Do. Come on, man. This is well, this, this is this is, this is tough. I don't know. Is that true? They, he I, I like Midnight, Midnight Run, Run too. But oh, Midnight Cop. Run. Yes, yes that he did is, do Midnight Run. Midnight and, Run. And, you can do. You can do no wrong. And Geely. he made Son of a Woman. Geely. He did Geely, <laughs> and he did Son you, of a Woman. Well, yeah. Pacino you know, and Oscar. You know. Well, what does that mean? If I was half, just don't even get me started. But I Midnight Run. Midnight Run is is a is a perfect. He made two of the best comedies of all time. Yes, it's well, hard to know how much credit he gets for this. Movie. Right, I was going to say like he's he made, smart enough to let Eddie ad lib and not be like all the fucking. But I'm never like, like this is a breast classic as right. I'm watching it. Like, no, <laughs> midnight, midnight run, <laughs> midnight run is is a is a perfect movie because of the person who made it in a lot of ways. Right. Like, um, yeah, but yeah. the same same thing though. It's a movie that right. like without those two stars doing work, their thing, right. that movie doesn't work. It doesn't work. But the Mumford Phys Ed t-shirts were really a thing in the mid 80s. I know it's hard oh. to explain, but there was no you internet back then, no way to buy them. I would have easily, if I'd ever seen it in a store, I would have worn one. Mm. And, it began, and I think the high school got flooded with requests, mm. sold out completely. And then when they did Cop 2, he had that lion's jacket on that I think was intentional. And then they made yeah. a bunch of them because they knew huh. people would want them. His, the, uh, almost as iconic as the Mumford phys ed department t-shirt is his cropped sweatshirts that he wears for mm-hmm. most of the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those yeah. are, yeah, that those people. Because that was also like there. the Josh Brolin Goonies look. Yep. Oh, you should get um, into that. That would be good on you. Taggart and Rosewood. Yes. Cropped, cropped muscle sweats. I'm good. I'm all set. I need to work on my abs if I want to get into that space. No, you don't. No, yeah. you really don't. You want me to expose it? I don't think that's no, a good it's idea. It's not a midriff. <laughs> it's not a crop top. You want, me, you want me to get cropped sweatpants? Sweatshirts. Shirt, sweatshirts. Sweatshirts. You know where it'll stop. You'll you look great. We're in a dangerous place. Taggart right and Rosewood. Do they, they've aged the best? Yeah. Well, it aged the best because it lays the groundwork for two heroic performances in Beverly Hills Cop 2 that easily yes. could have been nominated. Just an incredible job by them. You're, are you in on Cop 2? Of course I am. I'm 41 years Those old. Guys yeah. are, <laughs> <laughs> Those guys are flat out great in Cop 2 and all the seeds are set. Key, well, you do eat a lot of red meat. Key, unspoken key to Murphy too is that with the exception of Martin Brest, mostly works with really good directors at the beginning of his career. Mm-hmm. Walter Hill, Tony Scott, Robert Townsend doing shooting the the comedy special. Like he, John Landis, it's John mm-hmm. Landis for on on uh, Trading Places, and then Beverly Hills Cop Three, which is probably less said the better about that one. Indeed, I I live my life like it never happened. <laughs> but that's, that's a that's a lot of and even Michael Ritchie who makes The Golden Child which isn't very good but Michael Ritchie you, made a lot of great movies yes Um, I also like the performance by the not gonna fall for the banana and the tailpipe guy just cause he also has earlier <laughs> he does that's the best. aged the best I just cause <laughs> earlier he sets it up with the first team that first team insult he has yeah. for Taggart I like how he's 
that whole era of mid eighties cop movies where there was always a rival duo that had sarcastic witty yeah. comments. Yeah. I just yeah. miss that. I miss those. I miss the rivalries of cop movies. Yeah. Anything else for what's age the best? Uh, we hit a lot of stuff. Eilbacher. I'm willing to put her back in again. <laughs> I second that. I second that. It's a law now. Eilbacher. Huh? Yeah. Age the best. Well, listen. Eilbacher Mountain. <laughs> I'm on the right side of history is where we landed. What's know. age the worst? Hmm. I have a couple of things here. For things. what's age the worst? Yeah. I feel like the first 19 minutes could have zipped by a little faster. In general, I, I would say that 1984 was not our peak of masking stunt work. <laughs> so no, there's a couple yeah. of times oh, where a guy man. gets punched and then a different man <laughs> flies through a window. Yeah. And then the actor stands up. Oh yeah. So well, I think we were still we were still on like Magnum PI level stunts. When he throws point. Jonathan Banks through the buffet table, it's a guy with a full club. head it's of hair. Somebody yeah. who's fifty pounds heavier. Yeah, the than guy yeah. who jumps out of the truck. Yeah, is not the guy who's driving the truck. You know, like right, it's like yeah. it's like the guy who's driving the truck has like is is got like a like a long mullet, and then the guy who gets out of the truck <laughs> has got like a bald spot. It's a it's when amazing Victor, stuff. When Victor is shot at the end and fall and tumbles down the steps, I'm like. No, we we've lost Victor. Not not Victor. <laughs> yeah, I mean Eddie going through the plate glass window is not Eddie. And in, in general, yeah. I would say that action scenes that involve a lot of tumbling have gone out of style. Mm. So when you see a, a man run across a field and do a few somersaults well executed and come up into a stance, oh yeah, that's usually not what you see in John Wick. Right. That's True. not. That's now farce. Right. Yeah. That's like yes. scary movie twelve. Well, speaking of the window, I had uh, Victor Maitland's reaction to Mikey's death. Oh my it's god. Just oh. A bad, oh. Yeah. That's yeah. oh yeah. Terrible. yeah. <laughs> what else? What else? Anything else going on? <laughs> it's just so bad. <laughs> it's so bad. You should spend like several weeks in character <laughs> as Victor Maitland. <laughs> I would. Should... Hello, Mr. Foley. To the Ringer Podcast Network. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, what's that actor's name again? Stephen Burkoff. Oh, yeah. he's like weird. You know, the thing about he's 80s been in a villains, Bond movie. He's yeah, right. he's well, good I 80s mean, guy. The, we we when we had great villains or even passable villains, they were frequently played not only by good actors, although not always, but almost always played by sexy men, like men who like at least to my pre adolescent self, I was I was pretty instantly attracted to. Like that was even. Even Jonathan Banks. I was mm. like, there's mm. something about this ugly man that is also very attractive. He's got energy. <laughs> right. One the, day he would be Mike Ehrmantraut. You know? yeah. Masculinity is a very attractive thing when when reasonably deployed. Yeah. And there's something like the two of them talk about, we can get to this later, but we don't know what's going on with them either. The whole movie is Zach gay and, subtext. And the whole oh. movie oh, yeah. is like that. Every, almost every interaction with every the character, Serge, two, all right. that stuff. It's the all. It, the whole I gotta say, guys, yeah, the, the entire eighties like, was like that. All of <laughs> it was the eighties. Yeah. The eighties. I mean, my but, advice is just entire scenes of Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas driving and then just looking at each other <laughs> and then turning back to the road. Yeah. And I was like, and cut. But, again, this is, but this is, this is like quadrupling down on that. Yeah. There yeah. are like five different pairs of, of men who with, with no female interruption in a comedy, but not necessarily making light of that. Like that right. isn't, the it's joke, only the joke one afraid, time when right. he goes to the club. They're That's not, the only it's time. not homophobic. Well, we can get to the homophobia in a minute. But like it's not it's not afraid of what it means to have two men in such close proximity, right? And like to say, oh, well, we can get to this later. We when we're talking homophobia, we want to put that in what stage the worst? Oh, I was good. That okay. would be mine, yeah, for yeah. sure. But I will say this. I will say this. 
let's talk about the homophobia because I actually don't find it as homophobic as I was led to believe, as I was my memory would lead me to believe it was right. Just think about it. You're just seeing gay people be gay, like be have like have effeminate personalities. You aren't watching the movie, not like gay people. Like yeah. Damon Wayans is just playing an effeminate man who at the time we don't know was Damon Wayans. Right. I think Eddie knew the hepatitis dude. B thing probably. Yeah, would. no, the Herbie the surplus Herbie 10. Was that's, that's the one time where you're like, that's, that's this the, major D doesn't want to deal with this gay guy who has a disease. And yes. you're like, okay, but that's he's not using great. the disease. Like he is a weaponized, like the comedy of that moment. And I'm not defending it, but Eddie's I'm just in control. Saying, right. Yeah. I, I think that the comedy is like he just makes up a disease to like get him in. What's the craziest thing I could say that this guy totally. might not even know is real? Right. right. It's the same thing as he does it to Beverly Palms where he's right. like, we, yeah. right. we established that this person is smart and like right. his comedy is like his, the characters he creates are not just like bits he can do to make us laugh. They're bits to like get him into the, into the, into the next room. Right. Loudmouth journalist. Right. Right. As far as Eddie's homophobia in the in the early eighties, this was not, not this is the top nothing. of the list. Not the no. apex yeah, this is not yeah. Yeah. The Probably why you're thinking of it is because of of the stand up comedy specials right. and a little bit of Forty Eight Hours so, and Harlem Nights. Yes. Did you put yeah. Taggart punching Axel in the What's Age the Worst? Given, <laughs> in the stomach. Given, given what we've seen with the L.A. Police Department the last, it's pretty bad. But then he comes out and he, and he apologizes and, and said, "Would you like to press charges?" Yeah, okay. Right. right. Uh, Maitland's bodyguards have had bad. Uh, age badly just because all of them were terrible. You figure you hire six bodyguards, one of them will be able to shoot somebody Axel who's 20 feet away. Can we just briefly analyze the strategy there? So Maitland calls in the five guys. <laughs> five guys come in. Four of them are huge. One of those guys looks like a little mouse in the front. The four guys pick up Axel and they carry him through the building. And, and then the group. fifth guy just like walks in front of them. What's the fifth guy doing? What's he there for? Because can the other guys the not doors. see? To open the doors. Yeah, because if Why they're all carrying use Axel's head to bash the door open. Mm. I think that their wanna... whole thing is that they're going to throw him through the window and be like, see evidence of a public disturbance. It's just so, that oh. charge is so crazy. Like, again, like for people who don't understand how racism works, there's no white person that gets thrown through that window and then gets charged with public disturbance and actually winds up in a police department. <laughs> right. right. There's just there's just no way that right. happened. Right. And and the, the and the way that he doesn't resist arrest ever because he fucking knows what happens if he resists arrest. Yep. He knows his, first of all, he's a cop, so he knows and he's seen the dirty shit the cops do. Yep. And he's from Detroit and is a black man and knows how dirty the cops will do people. And then every and he time he gets knows arrested, that Todd will call and be like, "Yes, right." He is there a is a con- yeah. but again, like we're we're watching an interesting combination of a movie star like like experiencing the sort of entitlements of movie stardom, which is that like I know in the next scene the plot will give me something to do, but he also is experiencing the reality of being a black person in in police presence. Yeah, but there's also an, a character aspect to it, which is. The less I reveal about myself, the more information I can accumulate now. So well, if I don't tell you I'm a police officer right, and, and I learn about how you act as police officers, I'll know how to respond when I get inside the police department. That makes narrative sense. But I also think they're not even like, are you fucking, you're, you're a cop. Right. I mean, that's just a whole, every time he does it, Because that's what Bogomol like says five, where he was like, he's like, your boss says that you're a very talented detective, which I find very hard to believe, but right. you have like, you're. But let me tell you you're why you're good at your job. <laughs> which I find very easy to believe. The thing think, is, yeah. is that when we did 48 Hours as a rewatch, well, you and I talked about the fight scene between Eddie and Nick Nolte. Yeah. And how when you watch that, you're like, he's going to fucking kill him. Like he is beating the shit out of Eddie Murphy and how it almost like takes you out of the movie as like, a, mm-hmm. oh, this is just a comedy. You're like, 
this movie is in intense. You know what I mean? And I wonder whether or not this coming two years later, they were like, let's just kind of tweak the formula a little bit. Let's not like put him through too much of the ringer. Like he's never, there's a lot of plot arm around him and he never gets roughed up that, that bad, right? Mm-hmm. Just a punch in the stomach and being thrown through the window. Which compared yeah. to 48 right. hours is not and, that. And like yeah. knocked out in that opening scene. Yeah, he gets hit in yeah. the back of the head. Yeah. Or like Another what saves the worst was um, he decides to get in the Beverly Hills Palm by name dropping that A, he writes for Rolling Stone and B, he's doing a profile of Michael Jackson. <laughs> I have actually- <laughs> five years later, that's not working. A follow-up to that is, uh, and I don't even know, it's not, it hasn't aged the worst- but I would just say that the way in which um, magazines substitute for people's uh, mobile phones in this movie. So like, oh, interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah. judge, like, oh, Victor Maitland. Rosewood is reading like Time magazine, and he's like, you know, like, oh my god, did you see this about red meat in your diet? And then when uh, Victor Maitland comes into Jenny's office and just like picks up art for him, oh yeah, and he starts just reading it, flipping through it. Yeah, I, love I loved that. it. And yeah. uh, Jonathan I Banks because I was Jenny Jonathan was in Banks. The scene. <laughs> <laughs> didn't know who else was in there? Jonathan Banks is reading National Geographic yeah. at one point, and yeah. it's just like this is just what people did to pass time in 1984. Was like yeah, read much. a magazine. Today's episode is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with awesome hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, which means you can get incredible deals on cool, top-rated boutique hotels. Their name is Hotel Tonight, but you can actually book in advance, which is great whether you're a planner or a procrastinator. Instead of having to scroll through endless lists of hotels, Hotel Tonight shows you the best deals at hotels you'll actually want to stay at. It's perfect for weekend getaways, big vacations, staycations, road trips, business trips, and more. And with Hotel Tonight's special daily drop feature, you can choose a major city and unlock an amazing extra deal just for you. You get one daily deal per person, and once unlocked, the offer only lasts 15 minutes. So it's like a fun game where you have to book quickly. It's not available in all destinations, but some of their best deals are available via Daily Drop. Whether you're searching for tonight or a few weeks away, Daily Drop is an awesome way to save big on a great hotel. Visit hoteltonight.com or download the app to unlock a getaway today. Casting what ifs, you mentioned Mickey Work. He signed a $400,000 holding contract and then Mm. left the project. Can I uh, just do throw what? a quick uh, Mickey Work factoid in there? Yeah. Sure. According to the New York Times, uh, quote, spotting a picture of Mickey Work in a magazine, Mr. Simpson tore it out, <laughs> held it up, and said, isn't he great? God. <laughs> That's how they almost cast Mickey Work. So Rourke. much cocaine. <laughs> like, all the cocaine. Uh, let me just stop you right there. <laughs> you do not need cocaine to make that choice about Mickey Work in 1984. <laughs> you do it to tear a picture out of a magazine and say, isn't he great? <laughs> By the way, they used all of Don Simpson's cocaine in the coffee filter. (laughs) (laughs) Don, can we go to your office and grab a couple bags? Sure. Um, This is the movie that is missing from that period for Mickey Rourke, too. If you look at the... Look at before uh, he started fucking up his face. Yeah. yeah, I mean he's he's Heaven's Gate, Body Heat, Diner, Rumblefish, Pope of Greenwich Village, and then you have the space where you could have had Beverly Hills yeah. Cop, and instead you have Eureka and Year of the Dragon. Why did and he, then nine and a half weeks? Why did he dragon. not do it? I, I don't know. I mean, uh, he, they had the a holding deal, and the schedules didn't work nine out. Nine and a half weeks is a good movie. Stallone yeah. was way more extreme of him being like, "You guys don't have the right kind of orange juice." And Stallone like made it a straight action yeah. film. This is all real, apparently. Changed the lead character to Axel Cobretti. Made Michael Tandino his brother. <laughs> made Jenny Simmers his love interest. Yeah. He described his script as, this, this he said, the conventional the movie. movie. Yeah. 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 What, what oh, it happen? gets worse. Yeah. The script he wrote, the opening scene from Saving Private Ryan on the beaches of Normandy was what he was set going for. Set in the for. streets of Detroit or Set in the yeah. streets of Detroit. Wow. Uh, his ideas were deemed too expensive to produce. He was the pulled. end. Two weeks before his filming, there was an urban legend about he demanded orange juice in his trailer. 
and there was a big fight and he quit. The end so of, the end of the movie that he wrote apparently with a climax was him driving a Lamborghini down the train tracks at a freight train being driven by the super slimy bad guy. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> Wait, Victor? I guess. I whatever the version of it was in his Wait, movie. Wait, this gets okay. a little crazier, guys. And again, there's a lot of cocaine going on back then. Stallone was signed up for the lead. Scorsese offered the director's chair. Oh, no. He was trying to get Last Temptation of Christ made. Oh, boy. Um, wow. According doors. to the research, Scorsese was, quote, bewildered by the script <laughs> and dismissed it. So, there you go. Um, I'm just, what, what's next? What's next? I'm going to read you guys something. Best That Guy, a.k.a. the Joey Pants Award. This is tough because it's Jonathan Banks was like an all-time classic That Guy forever. He was mm-hmm. a first ballot Hall of Famer. He was a first yep. ballot Hall of Famer. That yep. guy from Wise Guy and Beverly Hills Cop, and nobody knew what his name was. And then Breaking Bad happened, and he became Jonathan Banks. But he was a that guy for twenty. Plus He's now years. basically Emmy winner. Emmy winner Jonathan Banks. Ronnie Cox was also a that guy, but ro- ripped off uh, for a little bit there. But then he ripped off Vision Quest, Cop, and Cop Two, RoboCop, mm. Total Recall, and was on San Elsewhere. So eventually, yeah. at some point, he became Ronnie Cox. Um, I think James Russo is kind of the winner of this. I'm going to go Michael. I didn't know what James Russo's name was. I'm going to go Michael Champion, who's actually one of the guys who's, who works with Jonathan Banks and Maitland. Yeah. And he's in like Total Recall, Hill Street Blues. He's on V. Like Mm. he was just like in everything in the eighties and was always like the slimy sidekick to the heavy. Mm. Um, I, I think Russo. I don't, I can't name one other thing Russo's been in. Oh, he's he was, been in he lots was, of things. No, no, but I just can't name it off the top of my he head. He was in Miami I know he's Vice. been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. He was well, in one episode, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the thing about him is he's just, like, acting in a different era of, or, like, a different, like, he's in a Michael Cimino movie, right? Yeah. He is, he's, like, a guy who didn't get cast in something and is, like, taking it out on Beverly Hills Cop. So, should we talk about Tandino and, and well, Axel? Well, no, we're not ready yet. Uh, <laughs> Stephen Elliott? Oh, yeah. The Chief? Oh, yeah. Who's like uh, a, just like a TV actor to police chief TV actor? Oh, he's yeah. about to come up here as we okay. head to the Saul Rubinek They knew award for overacting. Oh, that guy dialed it up. <laughs> the first he's time or good. the second time? Which when one? he comes in in the Either first time, okay. pick a time. He's bad. <laughs> the Dion Waiters Award <laughs> goes to Bronson Pinchot, who has two scenes and knocks him out of the park, yeah. and it's fucking awesome. Yes. And ended up getting a sitcom out of this. I that is the biggest Dion Waiters success story. We've probably had. That's like Flip Murray's like 13 game oh, run. Yeah. And then he gets like a five year deal. Well, you also, the brilliance of him in this movie is you don't know what he's playing. Mm-hmm. Only he knows. Yeah. Right. And so it's that it's like so many, it's like a joke on the art world. Maybe like, we don't know his sexual orientation. We assume we do, but like, he could also just be like Middle Eastern, mm-hmm. you know, we yeah, don't, like, we don't know. Anything. Weird Middle Eastern guy. Um, uh, all right. Half fast internet research. There's a big argument about who came up with this idea. Michael Eisner claimed he did it. I did a podcast with Michael Eisner when oh, he yeah. told the whole story about how he came up with it. And the story he tells is that in 1975, he got a speeding ticket with a cop, thought the guy was a little bit of a dick, hmm. came up with the germ of an idea to make a movie about a Hollywood police officer. God, why do people want Don Simpson for- also worked for him in 1977. He came up with a movie idea about a cop from East LA who transferred Beverly Hills. Couldn't get the screenplay done. Can I just say, it's not that hard to... to, to I like, know, it's, it's hard to believe like, people are arguing about this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if black people, if every time a black person like had an idea 
about a screenplay involving the police. I mean, well, you know, I actually thought about the time that I uh, well, the, had a run in with a police officer. But the amazing thing I, about it is that in the Eisner story, he's like, I got pulled over because I was driving a beater. I was driving an old car that wasn't nice. And then that made me realize, I mean, this is what he said, that I need to get a Mercedes yes, Benz, I, which is the that's the privileged thing of all privileged things I've ever heard in my life. Not, not an ideal story, but then obviously for the movie, which I don't think anybody planned on it being a black cop ultimately to become a movie about a black cop is hilarious. It's like a high level irony that, that this, this was meant to be a, what if Stallone pride of Italian Americans from Detroit came over to Beverly Hills and look at how he would stick out among the rest of the, you know, Prada wearing Beverly Hillsians. Ultimately, it becomes actually like a pretty salient commentary about something, though Michael Eisner never had any intention of that, nor I'm sure did Don Simpson. Right. No, right. it's by the research. It, he made Flashdance. It was a huge hit. And they're like, what's next, Don Simpson? He's like, it's time for Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> but they've, are, they argued about it until Don Simpson died about who came up with that idea. Um, we mentioned how they improvise most of the lines. Who plays the, who plays Ross? Did you know? The, uh, the, the police lieutenant, I'm getting the last name wrong, in Detroit. Oh, uh, oh. Gilbert Gill. Yeah. yeah. I really love that, that guy. He was an actual detective in Detroit, right. yeah. He really- I feel like he's been that guy in about five different movies. I mean, well, he he was the- I don't know if this is the first time we've seen this type, which is the black- You know the, what the movies do? I mean, not to say that the movies did this on purpose. 48 Hours is the first time. I don't know who cast him. I'm going to need your gun and your badge guy. Right, yeah. right. But but giving black people in a movie with no black people the most powerful job mm-hmm. and just to say like, well, we did it and we gave them the most powerful job, even though they only have like 30 seconds of screen mm-hmm. time. It's 48 hours. Right. Right. I think I mean, that was the first one. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. then it became a thing that kept happening. I think that guy is, I think he's excellent. He has only appeared in three movies. Sorry, Gil- Gilbert Hill, not Gilbert, Gilbert Hill. Hill. How high do you think the theme to Beverly Hills Cop got on the Billboard US charts? Number one. Number three. I was yeah. shocked by that. Yeah, I knew it was. I was, a, like, I knew it was coming a up on the radio, it's the theme from Beverly Hills Cap. But Neutron Dance Heat is on and stirred, and stirred up. up. All those are I feel new like attitude is new attitude is in this too. Did you know? I think so. Is it? Yeah. I think so. New attitude is in this. Do you, you know in 2013? They were on the radio like yeah. that entire year. The guy who created the shield, Sean Ryan. Yeah. Tried to do Beverly Hills Cop. TV show that CBS did a pilot for and apparently it didn't work. Brandon T. Jackson was Axel Foley's son. Uh, Apex Mountain, we covered Eddie. Lisa Ailbacher, 100,000%. What an apex. Uh, (laughs) By apex, he means valley, y'all. Can think of some other things that were at an apex. (laughs) LA Cops. Oh my God. Come on. (laughs) Fantasy. Wow, working blue. Wow. Unexpected. Maybe we needed him for the I, fatal attraction pod. <laughs> as Mallory was describing did this. Did not see that scene. one coming. Um, LA Cops. <laughs> Possible Apex Mountain. We kind of really turned for them. For LA the Cops? The second, LA yeah. Cops Apex? Yeah. What a podcast Kind of turned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of turned dramatically. Yeah. I guess that's true. It is downhill from here. It was, a, it was You couldn't make this movie 10 years later. Like, yeah, hey, we're making a lighthearted comedy about LA no, Cops. It's three like, years no, later, it was that. Colors. Yeah. 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 Or four years later, yeah. it was Colors. That's my point. Right. Mumford High School, definitely. Um, Harold Faltermeyer, yes. And then... Kent Cigarettes, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the mansion, I don't know where it was, whose mansion it was, used in this movie in the Commando a year later. Yes. Same house. Yeah. Oh, Incredible. 80s fact. Oh, Commando. Hmm. 
Commando. Eddie yeah. Murphy in Commando, right? Like, just think about like the the no, fit, like the movie star physics that happens. <laughs> like, you put him in Cobra, Commando, and Raw Deal. Cobra would have been Raw tough to Deal, make funny. Raw Deal. I don't know if you guys have I don't seen, think Raw, I've Deal. seen Raw, Deal. Raw Deal. Raw Deal. But if you, but it is an Eddie Murphy movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger doing all the Eddie it's Murphy bad. stuff. I haven't yeah. seen that. It's, it's, it's Arnold trying to, be, trying to be funny. Yes, it, it is. Matter. It is an action movie. But like it has all these weird human touches that you need an actual human being to be able to do. Yeah, he was and exposed. Arnold, he's got a like surprising gentleness to himself in this film. Of 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 all the movies he made it at the peak of his stardom, this is the one where he's where he's like shockingly the softest. What eighties movie do you wish Eddie was the star of as a fun game? Top Gun. Oh shit! Although, again, like. I get oof, what everything changes if Eddie Murphy's the star of Top Gun. Right? Yeah, yeah. He because has that it, power for almost every movie. It, though. Well, but 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 like the properties he gives it, but also the way that you just oh, man, if you change nothing about Top Gun and just put Eddie Murphy, and then you it, make James Russo as Iceman. Yeah, and they get to continue. Oh, the problem yes. <laughs> Eddie hit a point where he couldn't have been like Bud Fox in Wall Street. Like he had to be the giant yeah. star in every movie. You right. know, yeah. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. It's a good question. But Picking, if you make Sidney Poitier Gordon Gecko, I think he would defer. He'd he'd defer to to Sidney Poitier in a lethal way. Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Is he Murtaugh? I think he probably felt like he made that movie with Riggs, forty right? hours. That's what I mean. He has to play Riggs. Riggs. Yeah. yeah. Oh, could he have been in Die Hard? Sure. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. Die Hard Die is Riggs. an Eddie Murphy movie. Bruce Willis yeah. great. That. That's a fun one. I, it is an Eddie he is, Murphy. But he's movie. no more an action star at that point than Eddie Murphy is. Right. Yep. I mean, Eddie Murphy is like Die Hard is Eddie. All right. Let's pick some nits. Um. Mikey was a security guard in Beverly Hills who just ended up stealing a bunch of German bear bonds. Oh, he's a security guard at the warehouse. Right. Yeah. Well, we see that there's a bunch just of- took some, threw them in his jacket- and, and ran. Thought nobody was going to notice. Right. I mean- Tough plan by Mikey. <laughs> he came back to Detroit. Bad plan. Yeah. They did, I mean, like the idea that they would track him down for those to Detroit- I mean, I do not watch movies with the same like determination to like for logic that you do. <laughs> But every That's once in a while, but every once in a while, like you know, your movie is bad. If I'm thinking, why is this happening? Like, if why in this, why in this aspect of the plot am I being forced to Sorry, watch? This, this is why Ebert docked it. Also half weird star. that he tells <laughs> Axel that. 30 seconds into seeing him for the yes. first time since getting out of prison. Yes. He's like, uh-huh. I got to show you something. I got to show you something. It's, need some you're a cop. Like, Here's a bunch right. of stolen Deutschmarks. What? Wait, we talked about this Tough a little plot. bit when we did Die Hard, but Bear Bonds? Bear Again, Bonds. Like, still don't understand. What me. is going on with Bear it's Bonds? Sean, it's the inversion curve. <laughs> don't ask. Can you? Could you define you what a bear bond I, is? No, nah, it sounds knows. like something you get in Provincetown <laughs> at the beginning of July. That's what it sounds like. Cash this in on Sunday night. <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> uh, I needed Jen to be a little more upset that Mikey was dead. Strange. Good point. Really this strange. Point. I thought I wanted Axel to be more upset. So I always close. got the impression that both those people knew that Mikey would eventually end up that way. Okay. Mm, a lot of nuance to their relationship. Um, this is a question it's just for Chris as a movie connoisseur of uh, <laughs> dumb action scenes. Is it that easy to bring guns into a strip joint? In <laughs> Wearing an overcoat? In I don't know. It was just really fluid. So just, it was? Yeah. The, the, <laughs> I wouldn't say that those guys did there's no bouncer? a very good job at being subtle. You yes. know, there's all this credit that goes to Axel for identifying the two guys who were clearly had like machine <laughs> guns yeah. inside like their they, And they walked <laughs> in with long leather dusters. Yeah. yeah. Don't rob a strip joint like that. Uh, who walks into a strip also, club too unclear. and just stands there and is like, 
It's unclear what their plan was. Was it to rob everyone there or just the cash register? I don't know. That was any other that... nitpicks before we move on. Oh, I had uh, just, I don't think that Axel's car could have made the drive from Detroit to Los Angeles. Great call. That's a good one. I mean, it's funny because I didn't think about it until he was driving back. Yeah. I'm like, wait, they pay for your hotel room. You stole three, five, well, technically three ropes, but, <laughs> and you're going to drive back. They're not going to get you a plane ticket and a new car. It's got to take his crap. I wasn't going to do this nitpick, but I, I did spend some time wondering how much Jenny Summers made running the art gallery because she had nice clothes and that car was fucking nice. <laughs> Are we sure Jenny wasn't a drug car. dealer? Are we 100% <laughs> sure? Do you think you she think was like she a former hooker? On the plot? <laughs> Didn't you think she was going to make a heel turn? Yes. It was plausible. I was waiting. I would have been devastated. Uh, <laughs> best quote. Shh, take those bananas. Shh, take those bananas. Hey. <laughs> yes. Yes. David Wayans. David Wayans. Could this be remade as a 10 episode Netflix show? No. No. Uh, two unanswerable questions. We'll do the easy one. There's first. a couple more b- best quotes. Can I just throw one in? Yeah, there? give me a couple. Aside from this is not my locker. Uh, that's good. <laughs> I like that one too. When he pulls up to the valet, he goes, "Can you put this in a good spot? Because all this shit happened the last time I parked here." <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I fucking love that one. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't give him credit for how he sold when uh, the super cop scene. Yeah, the super when, cop um, story. When the guys, whatever, and they they're like, "No, that's actually not what happened." And he takes a beat, and he's like. The super cop yeah. thing was working really <laughs> yeah. well. I'm okay. just to point it out. Like, you guys just messed it up, okay? Yeah. Trying that to part. figure you guys out, but I haven't yet. <laughs> that part. All right, two unanswerable questions, probably. Was Beverly Hills Cop 2 better than Beverly Hills Cop? It's a better, it's a better story movie. and movie, yeah. yes. I think that. Movie. I think Cop 2 is better. Yeah, I lo- I'm better. more fond of Cop 1 because of everything it meant, like for the Eddie arc and all that stuff and how yeah. cool it was. But Cop 2 is a, it's also like, just, like, just a flat Tony out good Scott, movie. Like, it's a more fun movie. Yeah, It's got steroids. good music in it's it. Got it's got a great, great director. Yeah. I mean, the Taggart Rosewood thing is fucking great. Brigitte Nielsen. Yeah. yeah. It's got it's got good stuff in okay. it. It's got real. Right. And he's still great. It's time. Was Axel Foley gay? <sighs> now, can I preface my response? Yes, I do think Can I give gay, you some of the but- evidence or do you want to just answer it? Well, I want to add, I want to return to something in order to, 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 to talk about the, the homosexuality in this movie. Okay. And it's the fact that during this period, uh, the other thing the reviews were really upset about is how it made white people look. Mm-hmm. How, really? Yes. A, Pauline Kael in her review oh, no. called it, um, she didn't like it. And what she really didn't like about it was the idea that you have, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm, I'm paraphrasing only. She was upset that Eddie Murphy's, she didn't believe that Eddie Murphy was a star or her start, his stardom was, was offensive to her because he was using it in her opinion as a joke on white people and how dumb they were. Or how dumb they can be made to look by having a smart black person around. Ooh. It was like a really interesting anti-minstrel, like a sort of pro-minstrel argument against an anti-minstrel work, right? Where Eddie Murphy's presence, just by virtue of his being competent and not like attached to white person's strings, automatically was an affront to the white people around her. Or around, around him, sorry. And this was a criticism that a lot of people brought to the movie. And I was going to read this. LA Times published a bunch of letters 
in response to a piece a guy wrote at the time in 80 and 85 actually about in response to her review, but also sort of thinking about dumb entertainment. And there was a lot of like concern about like Eddie Murphy being a super nigger is the way some of the, some of the writers in response to this piece wrote in to like, to characterize Eddie Murphy's swagger in this film. And so there is this, there's this weird Eddie Murphy is going to replace our com our, our white comedians with this black swagger, this sort of black confidence that that we don't we as moviegoers. I see why people like this movie, but we should be worried that it's that that this could change everything for us. Having this black person be a movie. That's star. such a weird way. I was like the opposite. I was you like, this is the greatest kid. thing that ever happened. You were a kid. You weren't. Yeah. I mean, you were raised on one like on like white entertainment, but you weren't a like it. Kale was what, 66 when she wrote that? Right. 65? I mean, she was in, she was, she wasn't a racist, but she had every once in a while, she could sit there and be like, I can see why the people, like when people, when people cheer the sort of anti racism in a, I, she's got a really interesting take on 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 French Connection, for instance, like the the way the mm-hmm. black audiences respond to a movie like The French Connection. Um, she, it's just interesting, and she wasn't the only person. She just was merely the most important person. So old guard critics critics right felt that way. And so I watched this movie aware of the 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 way that people were nervous that Eddie Murphy was somebody that white people should be afraid of. And I don't know what their problem is because I watch this movie and it's to me a movie about a gay black man who works for the police department of Detroit, <laughs> whose <laughs> former best friend slash probably lover and or like the hookup buddy or what, I don't know what gets killed and goes on a mission to find him, find the killer of his, of his best buddy. Now, I'm not saying that that just because nobody has sex with a woman in a movie, you're gay. I don't believe in that. That's stupid. That's just Thursday night for a lot of guys. But if you think about the way movies work up to this point and who was having the sex in the movies, the idea that you'd have a nearly two hour, like hour and 42 minute movie in which your your protagonist who is on the verge of major movie stardom. I know the movie was made like he showed up in the movie after two weeks, like two weeks before it started. But the idea that you don't rewrite anything so that he and your girlfriend can have a moment together. Well, let's go through some of the evidence. First of all, she does. Jenny looks like she's just completely enamored with him. Yeah. Goes back to the hotel suite. Oh my God. There's three room suite and just immediately lies on, on the bed with the arm just batting her eyelashes. And all he wants to do is order room service for Taggart and Rosewood. He's just swats it away. Um, The Mikey thing, it's, it's really weird to watch. Like they, they, they're, it's hot with you. They look like they're making out. Yes. No, there is a moment where they're at the bar. It looks like they're going to start making out. What is like, what, who says I love you first? Does, does Axel I say think, it? I think Mikey does, but it's not like it's a, Mikey. it doesn't take a lot to get them. Like, they're both like, I love you, man. Well, love. even just the setup of the scene where Axel comes home from work. He's just been chewed out by Inspector Todd and Mikey is in his home. Broken right. into it. He's broken into his house. And it's like, and he's like, oh, thing. hey, 
can't believe so you nice broke in. You, you're yeah. out of prison and you got my refrigerator he's, open. He's elated. Yeah, he's, he's happy. He's elated. Yes. If, Chris, if Chris goes to prison <laughs> and then a year later comes out and he's in my fucking kitchen with the fridge open sitting there. Eating a mayo sandwich. I'm not going to be like, hey, man, let's make out. I'm going to be like, get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> fucked up, you son. felon. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm just it's, saying. What else you got? I mean, there's gay characters sprinkled throughout that he's interacting with. The thing is, I don't think they obviously did this because we know how they made this movie, which was with a ton of cocaine by the seat of their pants. It's just this unintended consequence of Axel Foley. The only time we even see him show any interest at all is when he goes to the strip joint. But you can imitate but he's, him. Imitate he's, him at the he's strip only joint. just there to tell <laughs> and to tell Rosewood, like, give her a dollar. It'll drive her crazy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. he doesn't. He's not partaking in any of that. He's not even pretending. He's like all the pretending he does is for plot purposes, yes. not for character right. development purposes, right? Like he's not pretending to be anybody other than who he is. You made the point earlier about how it was always about pairs. And the, even the movie is all about pairs. It's Rosewood and Tagger together. It's Paul Reiser and Eddie Murphy. And then it's Tandino and Axel. And then you've got Maitland and his henchmen. It's like all it's men who have emotional energy and high stakes between them who are, are like could be on the verge of kissing like a hundred times in the movie <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. over and over again and at some point it's like at what point does the subtext just become the text and it, the Ax right. is Axel Gay is like a long term that's like a reddit board conspiracy theory thing that's been going on really? for years I think it's yeah. like a lot of it is also driven so there's the two competing forces of like Eddie Murphy playing around with ideas about sexuality throughout that part of the 80s and then James Russo Definitely brings like a wild method actor energy into like a four, a two minute part in a movie where he's just like that's like you know I'm not saying like he was like giving like a Sean Penn level performance but what he's doing is he's like this is a guy who got out of prison he's so happy to see his friend he almost immediately starts crying you know what I mean right. like like the a lot of emotion that he's playing with and like just like seems like a really reckless guy who's just bound to wind up in a it, his life is going to end because like he just makes mistakes. And I think it actually has like this really powerful quality to it in the beginning of the movie because you're like, this feels very real. Mm, it feels very real. And Eddie Murphy's response to that is not, he he's drawn into this mm -hmm. person. Yes. It's not like he's standing there watching a guy give a method performance. Eddie Murphy is acting with this guy. They're on the same page. Yeah. They're connected. Right. And so it, it, do you know how the original the original ending of this movie was? Eddie goes back to his apartment in Detroit and he hangs up his jacket and he opens the door and it's it's Mikey's <laughs> Mikey's shirt is hanging in the closet and he sniffs it and then it ends. Oh my god! Well, Michael Ritchie, I mean Martin Brest robbed of an Oscar. I guess that's what we're saying, right? Uh, I don't think this movie intended to do anything. I think it was an unintended consequence. But we're not talking about intent. Like, we're talking about the movie we got, and those things are in this movie. So I didn't realize it was a whole Reddit conspiracy thing, because I noticed it. I wrote about it in, like, 2010 in a, in a mailbag or I mean, a you might column. have inspired it. I don't know where it originally I, started. I just watched it. I was like... I noticed it with the Jenny Summer scene really jumped out well, at me that they didn't capitalize Wesley's also right at because all. there is almost without exception, I cannot think of another action movie or genre movie from the exactly. 80s in which there isn't just 
there isn't some nod to this person having a romantic life. The and guy there is gets no- the dame and they, if they don't have sex, at least they make out. Even in 48 hours, Nick Nolte's girlfriend is there to call him three times and be like, God damn it, Jack, you work too hard. And then hang up the phone. That's right. it. And Eddie right. gets laid in that movie from Olivia Brown. It's yeah. his primary obsession in the yeah. entire film. He's like, I got to get wet. I got to right. get out of here. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, I got to get my yeah. dick wet. That's right. all he talks also, about. Also, like the presence of someone like your girl, Eilbacher, it's, she's not, I mean, that's and I don't smoldering mean that, sexuality I, she had. But I don't mean this in the, like a, a rude way, but it, she's not like Joan Cusack. You know, she's not like a yeah, comedian, not a like character right, right, actress. Right. She's a beautiful, the, I mean, the, the, blonde the, woman. the function that she would have in any other movie made during this period. Watch Fletch, be, watch Stripes. Yes. Would be, and it yeah. wouldn't be to like make the hero straight. It would be for a straight person to have some place to like, even, even like in theory, put his penis right. Well, it's, yeah. it's not object. like what happens yeah. now, where like where women are basically used to keep you from thinking about how. But do you gay think it's it's the a, characters it, are? Was yeah. it as simple as it was a black white thing? And because we know in Golden oh, sure. Child, that the is, sex thing right. got cut out. I'm totally, I'm totally. And they just like they weren't ready to have Eddie do that in a mainstream. And I think movie the, like the reason that it became a little bit of a conspiracy theory around Axel is because it was a similar thing that happened with Will Smith. In the Mm -hmm. early days of Will Mm -hmm. Smith's career, Mm -hmm. he did have some movies where he had Vivica A. Fox as the woman that he was trying to get back to. But for the most part, he didn't have as many romantic leads as someone in his position 5, 10, 50 years earlier. But Will Smith didn't help himself when he didn't do the kissing scene in Six Degrees of Separation. Well, I mean, but isn't that part of the thing that sort of keeps him, makes, that keeps him with a girlfriend or married every subsequent movie after like he is always, he is never without at least a, 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 a like a dead spouse. Right. Mm-hmm. The memory of a that's partner. how I am. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, it's just such a crazy thing. This like, just if the movies of would just be normal and acknowledge that gay people actually exist, like, and have sex lives, I think the only instead of flicking at it, like yeah. this isn't even a conversation worth having. But like for um for a for the biggest movie of nineteen eighty four to also have this character who and if you remember when he goes and and gets like um takes the what, what does David Wayans give him again a banana <laughs> instead of the fruit plate right, right. Yeah. yeah so when David again Wayans, that's text right. that's not subtext <laughs> right. but he gave him a banana right but to when, shove in a tailpipe right yeah but when but when Damon Wayans after he gives them go on go on take him. What is Eddie Murphy is headed out the scene, but what does he do? He turns around and says, thank you. Like, and not in like a, like he is perfectly comfortable in his, in this space with this man and turns around and says, thank you. There's a connection between these two people and there's a way, and I'm not, I'm just saying that there's so much in this movie that is so satisfyingly interesting in thinking about the way this person, like another aspect of this person's life is, and it isn't like so many movies where we can just say the person seems gay. The movie is giving you the setup for the movie. The vacation he takes is out of it's this, avenge, is out this relationship. All yes. other Sky action movies yeah. are about that. All other yeah. action movies right. are like, you right. killed my lover, my wife, whatever. I'm coming for you I now. I can't believe I watched this movie for 26 years and never noticed it. <laughs> but you did notice it <laughs> eventually noticed when you wrote about it. it. Yeah, because of the Jenny Summers thing. <laughs> and I was really just so of confused. your passion for her. How right. could a man How not a man kiss right. her? Not Had it been her. Terry Gar, you would have been like, I get it. it. <laughs> I, I, get why you, I get why you'd skip. Yeah. No, it just, Terry Gar, yeah. <laughs> oh, It just God. needed the one line where he's like, where she 
make some sort of hit on him a little bit joke. And he's like, we, you know, we don't do that anymore or so, something that insinuates. Well, that just makes it worse. You think so? I mean, it's just, it's just fascinating. It's just fascinating because it does sort of make her character more interesting. Uh, it's, it's also just hornier. all of the stuff that we talked about <laughs> at the beginning, which is that Eddie's got this complicated history with the, the concept of homophobia and the way that his right. comedy has right. a relationship to it makes this even more frictive. It makes you think about it more than you would have but if it you, was somebody else. Right. But in the other thing for me and with Eddie and his homophobia is, you know, like it. it but can you say what you're going to no, say? Don't, uh, I don't no, think no, you, no, no. What do you mean? I, listen. No. I. I the bullies, the people who bullied me, you know where they are now? At the club. <laughs> they are at the club. All my greatest tormentors married, up, up, up gay married, three kids with their husband. Listen, I'm just saying, you bully me, your sexuality will come for you. That's all I'm saying. Just throwing that out there. Let's go back to driving in the car with Jerry Seinfeld and how much fun that was. Who do you guys think won the movie? <laughs> Albacher. Yeah, definitely Albacher. Uh, yeah. Is it Ronnie Cox? <laughs> Don Simpson? Eddie Murphy wins yeah, his I own movie. Of course, of course it's Eddie Murphy. Got to be Eddie. Be Eddie. Big Great win by, Good job by Ronnie Cox. I feel like we didn't give him enough love, though. He's good. He's, he's good. Bogomil? Good, yeah. But like Bogomil. He's a big, big thing in uh, Cop 2. Uh, that's it. That's all I got. Chris Ryan, Sean Fantasy. What's the worst? <laughs> Incredible ending. The Rewatchables. Thanks for listening, as always. Today's episode is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. Summer is over, but that doesn't mean vacation has to end. With Hotel Tonight's Daily Drop feature, you can save money on a spontaneous trip in most cities. Use Daily Drop to unlock a special deal, and once unlocked, you'll have 15 minutes to book. You can unlock a new deal just for you every day. Whether you're searching for tonight or a few weeks away, Daily Drop is an awesome way to save big. Visit hoteltonight.com or download the app to unlock a getaway today. Today's episode was also brought to you by Sweet Tango Apples. Sweet Tango Apples are back in season. If you haven't tried a Sweet Tango, you're in for a treat. Each loud, crunchy bite releases a fresh burst of juice and a sweet, tangy flavor touched with citrus, honey, and spice. Taste for yourself and see why this best-selling apple has fans who eagerly await its return every fall. Find a grocer near you at sweettango.com backslash rewatchables.